Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast, original many 5e books, and talk about various rules and haunted gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftway. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk to you about animals in cities. So, Nathan. Why might there be animals in cities, and why is that something to consider in a Dungeons and Dragons game? So, uh, there's a reason why you need animals in cities, because you want oh the animals to kill the other animal, because the animals will kill the other animals. But you know that's a good thing about animals; they they like killing each other. Unlike us, we we don't kill each other at all, except the times we do. Except the times we do. <sighs> Only a few more months and I'm free. Anyway. What? <laughs> seriously, though. Why is it that I think that this is an important topic? Why is it that it is worth consideration for Dungeon Masters about just interactions with animals in cities? Uh, Because animals are cute. Yes. No, I'm not a big animal fan myself. M- many rats to kill. Yes. <laughs> uh, that is one of the classic starter <laughs> adventures. There's giant rats in the basement. If y'all could clear that up for me, that beswell. Time to stab some rats. And then time to stab some giant rats. And then you have a ridiculously stupid TPK. Uh, because you threw some giant rats and some swarms of rats at a level one party who has no idea how to deal with such, and they die. Right. Because <laughs> Nathan knows how swarms work. As has never happened to me before. Uh-huh. <laughs> Actually, swarms is on the list, because those are cool. We should talk about that at some point. All right, anyway. In all seriousness and disregarding Nathan being Nathan, there are a lot of animals in cities, just in our 
you know, as far as I'm aware, non-magical world. So it is something that can just add to cities in some way, but to just kind of plan for such being the case in a D&D world and just plan on some of the repercussions of just magic and just the things that make a D&D world different and how that does shape a city. So even you, Nathan, as much as you don't know media and things, like, are you aware of the fact that there are cities that are, like, famous for their animal populations? You know, like, you know, cities that might have a park that's just full of wild cats, or a place that is just well-known for, you know, their birds, or a place that has a bunch of monkeys. Like, there are lots of places like that in the world, yeah? Yeah. Monkeys, okay. right. Like, this is a thing that even you would have heard somewhat about, yeah? Sure. Ah, God damn it, Nathan. Okay, fine. The point being, though, animals live anywhere that they are able to thrive. That's just how they work. That's how all creatures work. If there's food that they can get and then they're able to survive to adulthood, pass on their genes, repeat, 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 you're going to have a population of things. And in a D&D world, there's no reason that that wouldn't be the case as well unless there are extraordinary steps to change that fact but we'll get to that later on so with that being said though what kind of animals nathan might be common in a D city uh horses uh doggos cats flesh eating so a lot rats. of the normal uh, Flash eating bats, flash eating direwolves. Nobody knows <laughs> why there's a direwolf, but there's a direwolf. And her name is Natessa. Oh. Ah, Nathan. What? Just. No, no, never mind. What? 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 Don't what worry really? about it, Nathan. What, what, what's going on? So. What would you say is the most populous animal in a city? And we can just kind of dive in and follow that to talk about interactions with things. What, like rats? Duh. Yeah, probably. Like, I think that's pretty safe to say. So, okay, rats and mice, you know, all variations thereof. The thing is, in a D&D world, there's a wait, lot wait, more. Real than... quick. Yes, what? What's the difference between a rat and a mouse? They're both rodents, but okay. Uh, size. So rats are typically a larger variant of rodent than mouse. Some different ears, different sizes, and different colorations. So yeah, they're all rodents, but there are size differences. This seems to be the big one. Anyway, that was a tangent. Um... So, typical rat, you know, not at something that most people like, but on the other hand, there are some people that do quite like rats and even have pet rats. So, in a city, you're still going to have just lots of rats all over the place because, again, there's not enough differences in how most D DMs treat humanoids for there to just be a reason for them to not be there. So you're still going to have like a lot of the typical creatures out and about. You're still going to have, 
you know, you're still going to have rats. You're still going to have probably a lot of pigeons and bugs like roaches, raccoons, maybe worms, more common ones, giant worms, squirrels, depending on where you are. I guess seagulls, if you're more coastal freaking birds, I don't care for birds anyway. So there's going to be all of these creatures about. So, okay, that's just kind of normal life. But why does this matter in a D&D world, Nathan? No idea. Okay. There's two things that come to mind for me. And I want you to tell me about what kind of influence the existence of these two things changes. Familiars and druids. What? So, for the druids one, that's pretty cool. It means that, well, if you have animals in cities, it's not going to look as suspicious when there's a rat watching you from under your table. Actually, come to think of it, that'd be pretty weird. Fuck. That, yes, that would be really freaking weird. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck is there a rat under my table? Uh, it's just having its own dinner on a tiny table below yours. This is uncomfortable. May I speak with the manager? Uh, He's just here from the back room. There's a rat in the mayonnaise again. (laughs) I don't get I don't get the reference. I know. I know. What's it from? Invincible. You wouldn't Uh, know it. Don't worry about it. We can talk about that later off camera. Or off mic. Anyway. So druids alone are really, really scary in terms of the privacy perspective of life, because there's nothing in rules as written that limits a druid's size. So you can have a druid be in the shape of a tiny spider as a normal part of rules as written. And that could theoretically just be just a tiny daddy long legs with their still full mental faculties of the druid for hours at a time. Because a druid is able to be in animal form a number of out like, well, you know, some variations, but uh, half their druid level is how I usually have. And was the last time I played a druid, actually. It's been too long. I need I should play a druid. Uh, anyway, sorry, I am. I'm tired, to be honest. Um, depending on what type of druid they are, they might be more powerful because it's only Circle of the Moon that can be a higher CR creature. But any druid can turn into any creature up to, you know, CR one, as long as they're of sufficient, you know, druid level and then able to be in wild shape for hours of half druid level. So if you've got, you know, a level eight druid somewhere, then they can be in animal form for four hours at a time. So four hours is a really long time. However, a fact that a lot of people forget or just don't know or think about, druids wild shape refreshes with a short rest, and they have two uses of wild shape, between short rests, which means it is completely possible for a druid to just relax while in an animal form and then just expend a use of wild shape again, relax while and just maintain it nearly indefinitely. 
like they might just need to change back once it's bedtime because yeah eight hours so unless they're level 16 but anyway that's overcomplicating. i'm sorry the point that i'm trying to make you have a druid and they're able to for hours at a time be in some tiny form or just in the sky in a bird form potentially just looking down from above to spy druids as spies should be fucking terrifying to the average person and yet most people just don't think of them that way well remy this is why i advocate for the entire er eradication of all things that are not human they must be destroyed eradicated burnt to dust so that anything that moves that isn't a human we can shoot down and know it's a druid yeah <laughs> and the thing is normally i would bitch at you for saying something like that but in a D&D, <laughs> you know medium to high magical world that's not really as crazy <laughs> because if you do consider like high level negotiations or you know royalty just trying to live their lives like druids as spies and assassins would be terrifyingly effective and again because of the fact that a druid does have two uses of wild shape like it would be possible for them to just turn into a tiny spider to sneak into a place you know have spider climb to just go over the damn walls so that doesn't even matter to them and then they just use wild shape again and just turn into bear like it's it's really really scary to me in all honesty to consider what they would do and okay there are people who might at this point be you know yelling at their podcast listening device but remy you know what that's not how druids are flavored at all they're all you know nature and all that like there wouldn't be a lot of druids in cities and there wouldn't be a lot of this okay Wait, Maybe. wait. Uh -huh. Eco-terrorism. Yes. Let's go. <laughs> Actually, there's a thought. Hey, Nathan, even as media ignorant as you are, do you know yes. who the character Poison Ivy is? Yes. So would you say that the words you used a second ago could apply to her? I don't know anything other than she exists, how she looks, and her name. Thank you very much, Remy. Have a good oh, day. God damn it. <laughs> okay. She has a lot of naturey powers and has been described rather often as an eco terrorist. Mm hmm. So, having a druid themed after Poison Ivy is actually pretty easy by D&D standards. Like, that is absolutely something that would be possible. And that is also something that a person could choose to play in terms of just characterization. Because. In a world like D like most typical D&D worlds, they're often described as nature spirits being a literal, actual thing in, like, old forests. So if you do have some kind of logging operation or someone, you know, running some kind of magical experiments that is corrupting nature, then yeah, there might very well be cause for there to be a pissed-off druid. So having a druid angry at you should scare people <laughs> but anyway 
the point that I'm trying to make, though, just all like in a D&D world that like doesn't homebrew out certain things, there is reason to be suspicious of every you know, bird that seems to be watching you to be suspicious of just that literal fly on the wall, because there's not a lot of easy ways to even tell that there is more to a creature, because if you have so many creatures that are infused with magic then trying to identify if something is a druid or if something is a normal animal or if something is just a normal magical animal it's really not that easy so how would cities deal with that nathan like how would people deal with that uncertainty if an animal either is a druid or might also just be a familiar which is able to telepathically fucking communicate with their bonded in this world there are very few things that people trust this breeds an environment of mistrust among the people and they rarely speak truthfully outside their own homes they treat their homes like their own fortresses Ensure that nothing other than those who are supposed to be in there come in. Animals are very often killed upon sight, um, if seen in town, for the fear of that that they they may be a druid. And um, this world is horrible. Everyone's in pain. The druids now alienated. Go further and further to try and find human contact. But and 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 um. This this further alienates them, resulting in eventually a war where the result is that all nature is killed and it's barren and shit. Or humans are all dead and y- yay, yay, yay. What? I don't know. <laughs> Something happened. Okay. Anyway. (laughs) So, dealing with that level of uncertainty is something that could very well be troublesome on the psych, let's put it. So, have you ever read any Edgar Allan Poe? So, here's the thing, right? Technically, (laughs) I have... All the audiobooks, it's just that That's I haven't I actually listened to any of them. <laughs> I paid good money for it, I'll have you know. <laughs> uh, of course you did. So, like, actually reading, or I guess an audiobook, listening to something like The Raven, to me would be a kind of interesting way that such might be just shown in D&D of, like... Is this just a bird, or is this a malevolent force of hell tormenting my psyche? And in a D&D world, that's something that may well be the case, because, like, imps are able to shapeshift. Like, the lowest things on, you know, the fiend total. Well, not lowest, lowest, but you know what I mean. Like, even creatures as low as an imp are able to shapeshift and do just all kinds of shenanigans. So thinking about what may or may not be in a D&D world is something that 
might well shake the psyche of individuals. But and then you have the kind of paranoid general who refuses to, you know, take any meetings outside of brightly lit, you know, windowless rooms where they do like an active check for any creature that might be lingering in the room. Like, oh my god, world, I just we would call that paranoia. Uh-huh. You know, like like somebody is like, how do they know this? We have a rat among us, and it's a fucking actual rat. Uh, yeah, the camera just turns and zooms in on actual rat. Like, oh squeak, squeak, God. speech bubble. Oh, shit. <laughs> That's amazing. Or you just zoom in on the chef and you see it's Ratatouille. Remy the rat. Uh, I don't know. That didn't get sweet. <laughs> it's just so dumb. But again, like, paranoia is you know, at its most basic level, excessive worry. So, in a D&D world, though, how much worry is excessive and how much is reasonable? Like, that's honestly a hard question to answer. Every- everyone becomes a beholder. <sighs> I don't know. Like, if you know that such things exist in the world that you're living in, like, what would you consider adequate precautions just like to have some secret business meeting. I mean, personally speaking, I just say dumb shit everywhere, including this podcast, so like it doesn't matter to me, but if if I had something to hide, which I don't, uh I I'd uh Is there any kind of thing that you could use to detect other presences? Like a spell or something? Radius. <laughs> oh sorry, my brain just went Harry Potter for a moment, hominem revealio which does exactly that. But uh, D&D? Huh. Oh dear, this is something that may end up on the corrections list, but nothing actually comes to mind. Maybe you could do a ring of truth, because people are forced to make a check. Like, things are supposed to make a check, right? So True. Or if there's some way... Actually, wouldn't it just be easy to just use mental fucking speech? That would be a very good way. It's very hard to hijack that. So yeah, so telepathy would be a very good way to potentially have an actual safe conversation. Or oh, like so, a less magical way would be to like encode shit like in a cipher or something. But then you also can just like get something magically deciphered. Right. Fuck. <laughs> Forgot that was a thing. <laughs> so just for curiosity's sake, Nathan, how hard do you think that it would be? to like get telepathy like whether through item or some other means with great ease all you need to do is close your eyes put your fingers on your temples and think really hard <sighs> the funny thing is you're accidentally correct wait what no no Remy. <laughs> no no that can't yeah. be true that, that's a joke that was a joke <laughs> i know i you know can't, you can't be serious Remy. that that's that's not doesn't that that isn't true, right? It is. It is. It, the it thing is. is, well, there is a telepathy feat. So if you consider the thinking real hard, your character is training to develop it. Then, technically speaking, an argument could be made <sighs> that by putting your finger to your temple and thinking real, real hard, real, real often, no! you can actually develop telepathy. No. No. <laughs> Why? why not okay fair enough 
<laughs> no, like joking aside, this is an actual feat from uh, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Like it literally is <laughs> developing telepathy. You can speak telepathically to any creature you can see within 60 feet. Uh, utterances are in a language you know, and the creature understands only if it knows that language. On the downside, that version, though, uh, does not give them the ability to respond to you telepathically. So it's not as good as like pure telepathy, for lack of a better phrase. On the other hand, there is magic items. So a lot of people may know about the Helm of Telepathy. However, that is an uncommon item requiring attunement, but it doesn't actually give you telepathy. What it does do is let you cast the Detect Thoughts spell without using spell slots or charges, which is still pretty significant. However, there is another one that is a much, much less known because it's from an adventure. So in Icewind Dale, Rime of the Frost Maiden, there's an item called a Psy Crystal that is uncommon, but does require attunement. And this thing explicitly grants you telepathy with a range of 30 feet as long as you remain attuned to it. So yeah, and that is like actual proper telepathy where you can just initiate conversations and just have actual telepathic conversations with other beings. So yeah. Uncommon magic item does use an attunement slot, but that's it. That's all it takes to actually get telepathy. A single uncommon magic item for one individual. So not actually that hard. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. So, 
with that in mind, Nathan, let's say that, again, you are DMing a game and there is a druid in the party. Like, what would NPCs potentially do in terms of... Oh, actually, no. Let's flip it around the other way because it's more fun. Let's say the party is trying to have a secret meeting with someone that they'd get in trouble if it was known that they had the conversation with them. So, like, anyone trying to make a plan with Gorfromnaheim. What would you think, like, would be something the party could do trying to make precautions against animals that might be able to spy? Rat poison. I don't know, Remy. <sighs> I wish you read more things sometimes. I am uneducated. But educated man so one thing that doesn't come up particularly often but i think bears repeating now there are a lot of things in D that are phrased badly or written badly as much as i love D, it is not by any means a perfect game so there is a spell called antipathy slash sympathy and the whole shtick with the spell is that it can attract or repel creatures of your choice within a 200 foot cube you cast this spell and specify a type of intelligent creature such as red dragons goblins or vampires and you can either attract or repel creatures can you see the immediate stupid flaw uh no no the the spell is written that you uh-huh. have to specify an intelligent type of creature right that's dumb but but intelligent creatures are very very few intelligent creatures i mean <sighs> lots of stupid stupid things out there the point being also this particular spell is an eighth level spell so it'd be nice if it had a little more freaking useful flexible you know utility to it because what it does for that antipathy effect is just basically it creates an intense urge to leave the area to avoid the target so they have to do a wisdom save or become frightened and run away that sounds like something that would be an awesome repellent for like important places like imagine if there was a less stupid version of the spell where you can just set the area to repel beasts and okay i can already hear the comments but wait that is you know op as hell if you're just able to completely repel beasts this is an eighth level goddamn spell it should be op that's how high level magic works so honestly i would probably just change the spell and just make it so that okay yeah so this is something that you cast you can just set it to repel beasts which creates a lot of just okay so first off that means that there's no bugs in the building at all which is nice it keeps other creatures out which is nice but limitation it's only beasts so familiars might still be a problem, but then that creates the possibility of, okay, that so you might still use a familiar to try to spy, but then it's a more direct check that the people in the building know, oh, if there's an animal 
it is something that should not be here. It is not a beast because this building is protected against that. And that's exactly the kind of thing that I want to set up in a D&D world. I want to set up things that are possible, but difficult. Because again, as a DM, you're not trying to actually say, fuck you, you can't do that. You're trying to set up challenges for your players situations where they need to think outside the box to succeed it's like fuck you can kind of do that maybe yeah yeah like you want them to have a challenge you want it to be possible but difficult and so by just tweaking that spell for beasts then okay so that means that a druid might have to make that saving throw but it's a wisdom save which a druid would hopefully be pretty good at. So then this literally is this druid in their, you know, tiny spider form, let's say, just crawling along the ceiling, trying to just stay out of sight, hope that no one looks up. And every, like, what is it? Every minute they have to make this save as they're just trying to get to the place that they're trying to get the information. And like, that's kind of cool because it's not necessarily a round by round because it is like a minute at a time that they need to save. And they, and then you can also have just fun with the description of just like, you know, your, your animal instincts are just blaring at you that there is like a predator here or that there's danger ahead. Like however you want to describe it, I think that'd be fucking cool. So just tweaking that, antipathy effect and just that spell is in such an easy way to just set that up and again this is an eighth level spell but that has a 10 day duration so then that also implies that there's some high level npc that is maintaining this or an ancient very important magic item that is used to do the casting and again if you consider like a magic item rule of like, okay, this is a charges kind of item, you know, let's just say it has, you know, because it's casting a powerful spell, it only has seven charges, recharges slowly, but because it has a 10-day duration, then even if you still only cast it once a day, you can still then cast it on 10 buildings, just rotating, you know, Monday I go to this building, Tuesday I go to that building, and just have a 10-day rotation of casting. So that means that, that you have 10 locations through one magic item in a large, you know, medium to high magic city that has this effect in place. And then that can also help for your world building to figure out, OK, so if I have these 10 places that might have this, what would those 10 places be? So it would be, you know, the Lord's Mansion, uh, City Hall. Uh, bank maybe might also be a one to get that because that would also make sense as a place to be protected and just kind of go down a list and just jot down what kind of places might have this in effect and just are considered important by the city to protect like it 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 just makes sense as a thing that should be or should be possible in a D&D world to just be able to have some kind of magical protections for such things so um i've gone on lots of rant just now about the concerns of magical shape-shifting and magic magic bullshit all around in regards to creatures however there is an entire another side of this that we do need to absolutely address so nathan 
what would you do as a DM if, let's say, the party befriends a direwolf, and the party and direwolf walk into a large city? A direwolf shrivels up and dies. I'm sorry, what? No. (laughs) (laughs) The guards would stop the direwolf from entering the city because it's a fucking danger to society. Yeah, it is really common for some reason just that if there is some just type of creature that someone in the party likes that they try to befriend it and they try to just make it a part of the party but like if you're in a city and they're well how how do you deal with that because in a D world especially like, you're not just going to have people with horses. You're going to have people with dire wolves. You're going to have, you know, lots of bears just because. Like, you're just going to have all these things. And that's not even getting into whatever, you know, more fantastical creatures like people might be trying to bring around. And what kinds of just norms and rules and laws develop in such a place? Like, do sufficiently sized cities just have stables where they can just drop off these creatures you know maybe just for some you know some amount of coin and you just kind of leave it out of sight out of mind like is it actually expected that like your the animal companion is supposed to stay with their person so that they can like directly watch them and make sure that they don't do anything they shouldn't like what how would you deal with that? To be honest, how I actually deal with it is that I, I just let the players bring the animal to, to the city because it's not a thing I worry about. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. And honestly, even for DMs like me who just overthink such things, there is something to be said for going with the simple answer. No one cares. Because again, the other way that this can be thought of, yeah, this is a thing that happens. Fucking adventurers always going out in the woods and just taming dangerous animals and then bringing them home. Like, somehow, they never seem to just snap and go and try to just eat, you know, random small children. But for some reason, they always just seem to be pretty well behaved versus how you know, we would consider a wild animal that is not actually trained by any level of professionalism. That's just not how it gets treated in D&D. And you do have the right as a dungeon master to make that explicit choice that, yes, that is just how the world works. Like, it is just... Like, whether you actually come up with some kind of bullshit reason, like, you know, oh, yes, when the animal handling check succeeds, like, you know, you begin building a bond of trust between you and your new friend. And then by the time you actually get to the city, you know, this bond of trust has evolved into an actual bond. So the the thing is now actually able to understand you and knows that that you know small delicious looking thing is a child and not food and don't go attacking such things only attack the things that i tell you to attack because that's how we're making this work like does that bend suspension of disbelief a bit yeah maybe but is there anything wrong with that no because D is a fucking magical world 
So having the rules and cultures and just actual interactions work differently is fine. So either way, or any way really, whether you decide that just city dwellers become reasonably par- reasonably too excessively paranoid about the potential of animal spies, whether it is just a normal thing to have just animals out and about, it is something that is worth consideration for your world building to just have an idea in advance for when the party does tame a dire wolf, what the hell are you going to do about it? Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash riftwakepodcast. Tiers start as low as a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the monthly hangout where you'll be able to chat with the cast, and even input on Riffs and Rules topics. Find us on social media, on Twitter, at Riftwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riftwake, on Reddit, on the subreddit, r slash Riftwake Podcast, and you can send us an email, riftwakepodcast at gmail.com. And that's it for today. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.